I hope you're glad here that you're here as well. Okay. I'm going to put up the slide for the message that we're here. We are in our new series. We kicked it off last week, but it's the paradox of grace going through Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We know this letter as 2 Corinthians, but as we learned last week, it wasn't his second letter. It was his fourth letter that he wrote. We only have two of them, but we have references to the other two letters if you go back and read 1 and 2 Corinthians. And in fact, I'd encourage you to go back and listen if, you're, if you want to know kind of what the framework is that we're about to enter into. By all means, go for and read or uh, listen to last week's message give you all you need on, on uh, the website. So grab a Bible or a Bible app and turn to 2 Corinthians. We're just going to read our text first, <clears throat> pray, and then work through our first 11 verses. So we're in 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> we're starting in chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. This is the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to help those or comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope and life and transformation that exists within the word that you've given us. And so this morning, we want to focus our hearts and focus our efforts, Lord, on hearing from your spirit, God. Would you speak through me, God? Speak truth. Let anything that is not of you... Fall on deaf ears, but God, those things that are of you, that you desire for us to grow, mature, deepen our faith and our trust and our confidence in you, would you let that ring true and loud in our hearts and minds this morning, that we would leave here clear steps from you, Lord, and where to go next. What is it you want from us, God? Because static faith is not what you're after, God. You're after obedience, and so we want to walk in it. And we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends. As always, if you have questions, you can text them to that number. Happy to come up here at the end and interact with you guys in that way. Um, so please feel free to text your, any questions that you've got about the text to that number. All right. Read the text so you know where we are. Um, got a little bit of a preview of it last week. <clears throat> and again, 
go back and listen. Um, just, I think it's, it'll be helpful for you all to, to know kind of what, what it is that we're looking at here. We know from the beginning of this letter that it's from who? Okay, I expect a little bit more confidence because I literally just read it. I'm going to read it again for you. Paul, an apostle of Christ. Yeah, so maybe you misunderstood what I was asking. Um, Paul wrote this letter to who? The Corinthians or the churches in the city of Corinth, which is where? Greece. It's in Greece. Does anybody remember the specific geographic information I gave you last week in relation to Athens? It doesn't matter. It's fine. It's 50 miles west of Athens. Okay, that's where it is. Yeah. You ready? Yes, sir. Let's go. When you are down and out and you feel like, or literally the things around you are crumbling to the ground, you've got a choice to make. How many have been there? Yes, absolutely. When you're ready to just throw in the towel and quit, you need to get your eyes off of yourself and onto God. That's a lot easier said than done, and I totally understand that. But this is a critical step when we, when we experience hardship and affliction. Now, does that mean we just pretend like everything's fine? Just put on blinders and be like, oh, everything's great. No, that's not what we're talking about at all. Don't do that. In fact, that's very dangerous. <laughs> Rather, we need to do this so that we can get the encouragement and hope and strength that we need from God in order to get through what it is that we are facing. And so Paul's going to give us three things that we can do in this process of walking through affliction and hardship. He tells us, through his initial verses here, to remember what God is to you, remember what God does through you, and remember what God does for you. So those three things we're going to hit. Remember what, what or who God is to you, remember what God does through you, and remember what God does for you. This is the kind of thing that we're going to look at because the, the heading in my... And my Bible translation is the God of all comfort, but clearly we're talking about affliction here. What do we do when we're faced with trials and tribulations? And I think that first one is something that we've all done before. We've all reflected and, and appreciated who God is and what, who he is to us. Right? We sing about God. We read scriptures. We rejoice. This is not at all unfamiliar, I don't think. But let's look at verse 3 to give us some context here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So the phrase, blessed be God, is used two other times in the New Testament letters. Paul uses it in Ephesians 3 to reflect on the past blessings of God. That phrase, blessed be God. So he's looking back. Um, Peter uses it in 1 Peter 3 to acknowledge the future blessings and promises of God. And then here in this Context, Paul is using it to address the current blessings of God. So we've got looking back, we've got looking ahead, and looking right now. And all three of those are important when we're looking for help from the Lord. The past blessings of God, they build our faith, right? Don't you, don't you look back and see the blessings of God and it encourages you? It should. So the blessings of the past encourage and build our faith. The blessings of the future, the future promises of God that we have, encourage our faith. 
They spur us on to want to continue in that direction. And then the blessings that are focused right here and right now, the current blessings, they should spur us on to action. They should move our faith into action. Like I see God, he's moving, all right, let's go. So wherever you are, whatever you need to do, you need to look back and remember who God is and what he's done for you, camp on that. If you need to look on the promises of what God said he was going to do, stay there. Or if you need to focus right now, even in the midst of whatever it is that's happening, and trust that God is being blessed and you're being blessed through God, use that as motivation to continue forward. It says, praise him because he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So we can come to God as our heavenly father only because of what his son did on our behalf. That's a beautiful thing, right? We are children of God. We are precious in his sight, valuable, significant, more significant than anything in this world. And we would do well to remember who we belong to. We sing about it often. You're a good, good father. You know that song? You're a good, good father. What's the next word? It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. He's a good, good father. Remember who he is to you in the midst of challenges. He's the father of mercies. That phrase, the father of, literally means the originator of. The originator of. Who is the originator of and the father of lies? Satan. You can read back into Genesis. He introduced lies and sin into the world. He is the originator of, he's the father of lies. But we know for sure that God is the father of, the originator of mercies. How often are God's mercies renewed to you and me? Every morning. Are you sure? Let's look at Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. That's, yeah. From a different translation, sorry. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, mercy never comes to an end. They are new. Every morning, great is your faithfulness. Every single morning, his mercies are new to us. Is that a beautiful thing? Yes. Remember who God is to you. Praise him that he's the God of all comfort. This is a key theme in our letter. In these 11 verses, the word comfort is used 10 times. Just in these 11 verses alone. Comfort, though... Stay with me. In this context, in the way Paul's using it, may not be what we think of as comfort. Sometimes we think of comfort as, oh, come here, precious little. It's okay. It's going to be all right. There's a time for that. Don't get me wrong. Like We need to be comforting in that way. This kind of comfort means God is coming alongside of us. He's infusing us with strength and encouraging our hearts to press on. That's what the comfort of God means infusing us with strength, coming alongside of us, encouraging us, like, let's go. Is that to say that God is without compassion or concern for our situation? No, because the Bible also tells us that God is near to the brokenhearted. He sits with us in our mourning, in our weeping. He's patient and gentle and kind and good. So sometimes it may feel like he's sitting with us, with his arm around us going, it's okay. It's going to be all right. I see you. But at every point, in every experience of affliction, there comes a moment where we need to step forward in our faith to walk through it, or by God's grace, out of it. And it's in that moment where the comfort turns into encouragement, infusing us with hope, 
and purpose to move forward. And so God knows what it's going to take to get us through. So when you're up against it, and your response is to get your eyes on God, call to mind who and what God is to you. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. Make sense? All right, that's the first thing. Get our eyes off of us and what's going on onto God. Remember who God is to you. The next thing we need to go over is remember what God does through you. These are the next couple of verses. Because it's in times where we're really struggling, times of turmoil and pressure and suffering, where our tendency is to turn inward. Right? We, we start to push away, perhaps, the people around us and even being able to be used in the midst of struggles. We forget about others, and rather than being a channel for God's grace and mercy, we become a, a reservoir. How many of you guys want to be a channel for God's grace? Sometimes it's okay to be a reservoir, like we just need to sit in the presence of God. But then we need to kind of chisel away and chip and, and kind of make that into a reservoir because as we're going to read, that's what God wants of us. And the reality is, friends, the topic of human suffering is very difficult to understand. When you think about the things that are happening in the world, the things that have happened, it's hard to comprehend why there's so much hurt and pain in the world. It could be the result of sin. It could, though, be something that's preventing us from sinning, or it could be something that's used to develop our own character. But instead of spending our time and our energy finding out why, why the suffering, I choose to focus more on how God wants to use me in and through the suffering. It's not wrong to ask questions, but some questions we're just not going to get the answers to, and you can spend a lot of time and energy asking the wrong questions. Ask God, what, what do you want to do through me in this? And we don't have to go too far to know for sure as we look at verses 5 and 6. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in, in suffering. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Back up to verse 4 even. More clearly, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others. The part of the reason that we experience suffering is that so that we can walk with others through their own suffering. Now, they may, that may not sound like a great reason to you to want to go through some suffering until you've been encouraged by someone who's been through what you've been through. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I see the value. I see the significance. Who here has been comforted by a brother or sister in Christ who's gone through what you've gone through and come out the other side? It's an incredible experience, right? It's a beautiful thing. And listen, God works in us before he works through us. If you take nothing else away from this morning, take that. God works in us before he works through us. It's one thing to know about God, and it's another thing to rely on God in the midst of life struggles. It's like putting it into practice is the next level. 
And you gotta love that sort of reciprocal nature of this experience. I'm gonna look at verse four again. God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort in which we ourselves are being comforted by. It sounds like a tongue twister of what's going on, but it's a beautiful picture of what God is doing here. So, so what does that mean essentially then? When you're in pain, when you're suffering, when you're facing hardship, remember this passage so that you can find the people around you that God has placed in your life who are ready to walk with you through it. Because if this passage is true, then there are people around us who he has prepared in advance to walk with us through that hardship. But as we say many times, nobody in the room is a mind reader. You've got to say it out loud. We build community here, meaningful community here, for a reason. It's not just for looks. <laughs> to say get involved in a life group or a discipleship thing. Those relationships, those experiences, that's what forms a place and cultivates the culture of transparency to be able to communicate, I'm really struggling right now. I'm super depressed, and I don't know what, what life looks like from here on out. I'm so glad you said that because I've been where you are, and I've seen God's grace and mercy. Let's walk together through this. That's the power of what God does through us. And, and listen, it doesn't have to be the exact same situation because I think Paul, understanding that we're all coming from different walks of life, he says, you can walk with somebody through any difficulty. That's what he says. Literally, you can, any anyone. There is value in going through something that somebody else did, but that's not a, a requirement, a prerequisite, so to speak. You can sit with people who you can't fully relate to. It's this idea of the fellowship of suffering. The fellowship of suffering. Paul talks about that in uh, Philippians 3. But, but as suffering increases, so does the grace of God. It abounds. And here's the thing about grace that I, I, I kind of, of course you know these things, but when you put it in, in the proper context, especially in this letter, it's like, whoa. You kind of get bowled over by these things. Think about grace. And, and although there is way more available, way more of God's grace than we could ever use, we, we will never outspend God's grace, or however you want to phrase that. <laughs> we cannot store it up for future use. You ever think about that? Every other resource that God gives us, food, what other resources? Food, water, carnal things, but even knowledge, all these kinds of gifts that God gives us, money, we can store these things up for future use, but not grace. Look, look at Hebrews 4.16. Put that one up, Eladio, please. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find help when? In the time of need. We acquire grace and help in that moment. Why is that, you ask? Why can't I just have it and I can store it up? Well, if that were the case, if we could somehow store up grace and use it whenever we wanted, we'd be prone to rely on our own selves. Well, that's all right. I got this surplus in the back. It's okay. I don't need God. I've got this supply of grace that's, that I've been holding on for a rainy day. No. In fact, that's the last place we want to be 
when we're in difficulty is thinking that we can rely on ourselves. In fact, it could be that we're in that place because we tried to rely on ourselves. So we don't want to use that to get out. Instead, though, as we experience the grace of God in our daily lives, which we do, it's actually invested into our godly character. And in that investment in our godly character through the grace of God, it actually pays dividends when troubles come our way. Because that godly character is what enables us to endure tribulation to the glory of God. There's a confidence, there should be anyway, that we have as we're living these things out. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, Paul says, Our hope is for you is unshaken. It's unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So we have confidence. Sometimes it's a still, soft, barely there kind of confidence, but we can be unshaken because we know the promises of God are good and true. And that's the last part of this to remember. What God does for you. These are the last couple of verses, 8 through 11. Did you know that God permits trials to come? Verse 8 Paul's telling us of one of those trials. For do, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. So there's this crazy thing happening in Asia. Caused them to despair, almost giving up their lives, saying, we're done. This is it. Now, that may not be something that you immediately want to celebrate. Oh, great. God gives us these things. How good. How good our God is. But, you know, I mentioned earlier that this idea of human suffering is difficult, and so we, we have a hard time marrying these ideas that God would allow for these things to happen. Like, come on, God, just put me in a bubble. Protect me. Don't you love me? But we should avoid thinking that trouble and difficult situations are random. There are only three possible outlooks a person could take when it comes to the trials of our lives, and this is not me, this is my my good buddy, not my good buddy, I wanted to make it, Warren Wearsby, I read all the time. He says, here's the three outlooks you can have. If our trials are the product of fate or chance, then our only recourse is to give up, because nobody can control fate or chance. If we have to control everything ourselves, then the situation is equally as hopeless. But if God is in control and we trust him, then we can overcome circumstances with his help. Right? So if you're just like, oh, whatever happens, happens. I got no control over it. God doesn't have any control over it. That's about as hopeless as it can get. You might as well just give up. Same thing if you're in control. If I'm in control, like forget it. The thing's just going to fall apart. But if God is in control and you believe in him, we've got this. And so God encourages us in our tribulations by teaching us from his word that it's actually him who permits trials to come. You think God knew what Paul was going to go through and face in Asia? Yes, he knew exactly that, his, that Paul's team were going to despair for their lives and think they were going to die. It doesn't get much worse than that. Yet, God permits the situation to unfold. Also knowing, because he's all-knowing, that through this experience... They're going to turn to him with greater reliance and greater hope and greater expectation for the future. And that's the next part, that God enables us to bear our trials. 
Look at verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely on ourselves, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. When I read this verse, what comes to my mind are the words from chapter 4, later in this letter that you might know. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I love these words. Powerful words. Because we walk down these paths of affliction and trouble to both see and rely on God more fully, more completely, more confidently. So this may seem extreme as you're thinking about this. Maybe you're new to the faith and you're like, why would God do this? (laughs) But let me ask you this. If your life is ever hanging in the balance, regardless of why you got there, What percentage of you, personally, do you want relying on God? 50%? Sounds good enough, right? 50-50? 60, 70? You want 100% of you relying on God in that situation. But the, the, the challenge for us as broken human beings, who are sometimes selfish and figure we can do things on our own, is that we frequently need a dose of helplessness when we're stripped of all sense of false confidence before we lean on God in our humility and open ourselves up fully to him. It's a hard truth to reveal, but it's very real. God has to sometimes pull the carpet out from under us in order to get our attention, our eyes to see, you need to rely on me because I'm the only one that's going to get you through this. You know, as we learn that, it becomes more of a partnership where God doesn't have to throw us into the deep end because you're like, oh, I've been over there. I, I know where that road goes. I'm not going down that way anymore. It doesn't mean that we're completely kept from all issues and, and struggles and trials, but we learn as we go what God does through us, what he does for us, and we can avert sooner and get back on the path that he wants. It was deep certainty of death that led to Paul's deeper trust in God. And God responds with another reminder about what he does for us. He delivers us from our trials. Verse 10, and he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. In other words, he will do it again, is what he says in the last last part of the verse. On him we have set our hope, and he will deliver us again. It's not always immediate. It's not always the same way, even. James was beheaded. Paul was miraculously delivered out of prison. Both were delivered in very different ways. The reality is, sometimes God delivers us from our struggles, and sometimes he delivers us in our struggles, to where we not see the other side. He did it once, he'll do it again. Last point. God uses the prayers of his people on our behalf. Look at verse 11. You must, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. 
Now, this is not new for us. If you've been here for any length of time, we've been trying to double down on our understanding of prayer, how it is the work of ministry. It's not something we do as a preamble or something we do kind of on the periphery. Prayer is the work of ministry. Nothing happens without it. And so Paul, as you look at his letters, he's always asking people to pray for him. Always. I pray that's the same for us. That we're constantly inviting people to pray for us, not just when things are difficult, certainly in those moments, but all the time, because we always need the prayers of the people. And tied into this particular phrase about prayer in this verse is that others will give thanks for the blessings that are granted. In other words, God is glorified through the prayers of his people as we see those prayers come to pass. So it's God that provides the, the, the answers to prayer and God that provides the blessings. And so when we pray for others and they pray for us, people can actually see God working and give thanks. And so as a result, God is glorified for his goodness and his faithfulness. And that's a beautiful thing for us. So we've got to remember that in our trials, in our struggles, in our affliction, remember who God is to you. Remember what God does through you. And remember what God does for you. I'm going I'm to close with reading a brief account of a strong Christian woman, along with her sister, who endured a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. Some of you may know this story. <clears throat> but I'm going to read it because there's some quotes and things but I think it's super appropriate for where we are in this particular text. In her book, <clears throat> The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom tells of a time she discovered that God was working even in the most horrific circumstances. Corey and her sister Betsy had been imprisoned by the Nazis for hiding Jews behind the wall of their Holland home, and Nazi prison conditions were pretty well unbearable. Corey writes, Barracks 8 was in the quarantine compound next to us, perhaps as a deliberate warning to newcomers were located the punishment barracks. From there all day long and often into the night came sounds of hell itself. They were not the sounds of anger or any human emotion, but of cruelty altogether detached. We would stand in our ten deep ranks with our hands trembling at our sides, longing to jam them against our ears to make the sounds stop. It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering, Every day, something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. Yet in the midst of suffering, the women prisoners around Corey and Bessie found comfort in the little Bible studies that they gathered around the Bible. Corey writes that they gathered around the Bible as if they were waves clustered around a blazing fire. The blacker the night grew around us, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. Then they were moved to Barracks 28. Corey was horrified by the fact that their reeking straw bed platforms swarmed with fleas. Well, it was Betsy who discovered God's answer. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. And we can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her. Then around me at the dark, foul-aired room. And we thanked God for the fact that they were together. We thanked God for the, the fact that they had a Bible. They even thanked God for the horrible crowds of prisoners, that more people would be able to hear God's word. 
And then, Betsy thanked God for the fleas. The fleas. This was too much. Betsy, there's no way God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between the tiers of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. Well, it turned out that Betsy was not wrong. The fleas were a nuisance, but a blessing after all. The women were able to have Bible studies in their barracks with a great deal of freedom, never bothered by the supervisors coming in and harassing them. They finally discovered that it was the fleas that kept the supervisors out. Through those fleas, God protected the women from abuse and harassment. Dozens of desperate women were free to hear the comforting, hope-giving word of God. Through the fleas, God protected the women from much worse things and made sure they had their deepest and truest needs met. I'm going to close with the scripture that we just read. Put up, blessed be. The last one, Elio. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you. Grateful, Lord, that you are in control. As we prayed at the beginning of the service, in control of all things. And God, when we lack understanding and we look around us and we can't put the pieces together, help us to remember who you are. Remember the past blessings that we can rely on. Remember the future promises that you've given us and the things that you remind us of in the midst of trouble that you might spur us on to action. God, trusting, believing, hoping in you. God, it's in our weakness that we're actually strong through you. And as we read this testimony, the story of Sister Corey Tenboom, God, through her affliction, infliction, affliction, we can be comforted. If, if a woman of God could praise you in those circumstances, her reliance upon you, their reliance upon you, gives us courage and hope to know, God, that you see us where we are. You give us the strength, the peace, the power, and the hope to put one foot in front of the other, God. And please remind everyone in the room that we don't do this in isolation. Not in isolation from you and not in isolation from other people ready and willing to walk side by side through the, the valley of the shadow of death because you bring comfort and hope through your word and through your people. And God, stir us this morning into action. Guide us through these verses. Let them sit with us this week. And Lord, I know there are some in the room here who are rejoicing at the incredible blessings and lack of affliction in their lives right now. Praise God for that. And God, I know there are some in this room that are in their darkest hour 
And God, we praise you for that because we know that you're in control and that you have a way forward. Let every end of the spectrum and everyone in between put our eyes on you. God, help us this morning and every morning to walk in your mercies. We love you and help us to turn our eyes to you, Jesus. Amen.